0: So we continue in our series this morning. And we're going to talk about this thing. Can anyone tell me what this is? This is an Anchor. And so before we get there, I just want to do a little review. And just to catch up, if this is your first time here, or maybe you've missed a couple. So I just want to give a couple pointers of some of the things we've learned about Jesus over these last few weeks. And the first one is this. When we first started Hebrews, we learned the supremacy of Christ. And how Christ was in and in all things. And he created everything. And the Hebrew writer said that Christ is greater than angels. And they were specific to angels because there was uh, this idolization of angels. They were, they were lifted high. And they should have been partly because angels were the ones that brought the message. Hebrew writer says the angels delivered the message of Christ. And then we learned about salvation and the warning of drifting. And I had this very large uh, kayak up here. And and we talked about the importance of staying focused, that as soon as you start drifting, you get away from the the main point that you're focused on. And then we talked about how everything is, is subject to Christ. We talked about how Christ was... It was greater than Moses, right? Greater than probably one of, if not the the greatest uh, Jewish leader, right? The one that led the Israelites out of Egypt. And we talked about how Christ was greater than even Moses. And we talked about the importance that Christ tasted death for everyone. That it wasn't just that he died for some, but that he tasted death for everyone. And everyone who places their faith in him will receive eternal life. We talked about how Christ is the ultimate high priest, and how he was greater than all the high priests, and all the rituals, and everything else that the Israelites did. And then two weeks ago, we talked about the challenge of growing, and we talked about how as believers, when we accept Christ, we are infants but there should be a result of growth. There should be growing towards Jesus. There should be maturing towards Christ. And if you accepted Jesus and there was no maturing, the Hebrew writers basically saying, you don't know Christ. And he gave this warning of those who claim to know Jesus, who've experienced all the good things of Christ, who've experienced the work of the Spirit, who've seen all these things happen, but yet never fully made a decision to make Christ Lord and Savior. And as a result, they fell away. And the Hebrew writer warned that, that when they fall away after experiencing everything that God could have convicted of them and convinced them that he was real. And as a result of that, they fell away. And it says that they are hard to come back to repentance because what they're saying as they see all these things saying, Christ, you were real. But the matter of fact, Jesus, you deserve to die. But I'm not going to believe you as Lord and Savior and walk away. And that was like crucifying Christ all over again. And they finished with the passage that I read during worship. And I just want to read it again. As we go into our passage this morning, of talking about the promises of God. And it just says this. We desire each of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who faith and patience inherit the promises. Promises. Hmm. What are those promises? What is the writer talking about? Who is going to inherit these promises? Well, he challenged, saying, "Those who persevere, who have patience, who stay on the path towards Christ until the end, will inherit the promises that God has promised from beginning to end." And we're starting off this morning in verse thirteen. And it just says this. John, I'm just going to ask you to advance those slides as I read it. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promises. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and all their dispute and oaths is final for confirmation. having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus, this morning, God, I'm so thankful for this passage that we just read. I'm staying thankful for how we're going to break it down and the encouragement that it offers us. But Lord, I pray that you would speak. God, I surrender my preparation and result of you getting the glory and you doing your will here. So, Lord, may I be led by the Spirit to proclaim the truth that you've set before us this morning. May I break this down the way that you desire for it to be broken down. And may you get that glory, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. So, one of my favorite actors is Jim Carrey. You guys know who Jim Carrey is? So... One of my favorite utmost movies that we're not gonna talk about today is Bruce Almighty. I love it, it's one of my favorite shows, uh, partly because it makes me laugh, and it's just enjoyable. Like Jim Carrey is someone enjoyable to watch. Um, and, And some movies he goes deep, and others it's just comedy. But there's something about him that just draws me in. And there's a movie that he was in called Liar Liar. And in this movie, Jim Carrey plays a lawyer and a dad who lives off of lying like he makes promises and he cannot keep to them and he keeps breaking them to the point that uh, his his ex-wife doesn't trust him and and his work is not trusting him and, and, and he's doing all of these things and I can imagine at some point in our lives each of us were hurt by someone who broke a promise someone who promised one thing and never kept to it. And I can imagine the hurt that you must have felt knowing that someone promised something and never kept to it and the lie that came out of that. And if you're anything like Max, who's the son, I can imagine at some point you maybe have thought thought this before. (laughs) tomorrow. someone in your life that you just keep putting hope in and keep wanting to trust and you keep doing it but they keep breaking promise after promise after promise to the point that you just want to give up and you're just praying and wishing that for one day like Max they couldn't tell a lie and all their promises will come true maybe for some of you fortunately growing up maybe that was your dad who made promises and never kept them. Or maybe your mom. In society, uh, we, we live off of promises. I mean, I know that I have been guilty of making promises and not keeping them. As husband and wife, when we first get married, we make a promise that we're going to love and care and respect. And I can honestly admit, that unfortunately, I don't always love and respect my wife. And so I broke a promise. And we've all felt that way before. And as a result of these experiences, there's some here or maybe you've, you've went on a journey to meet Christ and you were hesitant first because of all these promises that people were making and kept breaking to the point that you were like, God, can I trust you? I mean, I, I, I hear all the time about you make these promises and, and when man fell and sin came into the world, you didn't keep it that way and you promised that one day you're going to send a savior. And then you look at all these Old Testament covenants and these promises that you made and it's like, really God, like, can I trust you to the point that, that I can follow you, that I can walk towards you, that I can seek my face in you? Like, are, are you going to break these promises just like so-and-so has broken promises and has hurt me? Unfortunately, I had a conversation with a family the other day and found out that they were, um, that they split, and I found out a big part of that was uh, because of abuse, and my heart breaks for the kids in that family, because now that, that experience of a dad is now affecting their view of God the Father, and I pray and I hope that that doesn't happen, but we're here. And what if I was to tell you that that God is different than any other human being that you've ever interacted with? That God was totally contrary to anything you can think of because the character of God is not that of a human being. God's character is totally different because God isn't tarnished by sin. And as a result of that, this passage is just reminding the, the Jewish people who, who are struggling this balance. Do I go back to the Jewish faith or do I follow Jesus? And, and this is a promise and, and a guarantee and an encouragement to them to say, no, God is different. And so these promises that, that, that we're called to imitate right before this passage and and, and that the heroes of the faith that were called to imitate it's because they stood firm on the promises of God trusting that those promises were going to come to fruition see the Jewish people they were going through so much turmoil and so much heartache and they were just looking for something to grasp and hold on to because it just felt like they were sinking you were like think that you can be like Peter and walk on water and say so you go out and, and just like Peter taking his eyes off Jesus, you begin to sink. And, and life sometimes feels like that, right? Like everything is coming at us and, and we have this, this desire to just grab onto something because it feels like we're sinking, that that, that we need a promise that was gonna pro- provide hope and, and encouragement, something that we can, can st- provide stability to our lives. And this passage is all about that they were wrestling with the same exact things that we wrestle with is god real are their promises going to come to fruition does god ever lie and and we try to logically answer all of our questions but to soon to find out that those answers As we seek and as we question and as we we doubt and we look into that and we keep asking these questions because we want to logically answer all of our questions. And I'm going to say this, that if you can logically answer all of your questions about God and the universe, then God isn't a big God. Because there's always going to be things in our life that we just can't understand. And that is where faith comes in. And so you're looking for something to hold on to And what is right in front of you is the promises of God and his word. And you wrestle with whether or not to to latch on to those promises or to keep sinking. Because you're not fully sure. And so an example that the writer gave was the story of Abraham and Isaac. And, And I just want to introduce some of my friends to you. Here's God and Abraham. And the passage that that the Hebrew writer brings up is a familiar passage in Genesis 22 of the story of Isaac and Abraham. And Abraham's been waiting a long time for this promises, and, and he's been waiting a long time to have a child. And he has a child, and God says, I want you to take your only and beloved son Isaac and go to the land of Moriah. And offer them there as a burnt sacrifice on one of the mountains I will show you. So he's been waiting a long time for a son. And he gets it. And God's like, I want you to go sacrifice your son. I know I promised you a son. But I want you to go sacrifice him. Because God obviously was testing, right? He, He was testing Abraham, testing his faith. And so Abraham, in obedience, packs up with his son Isaac, gathers all the sticks, and begins to go up the mountain. And he's up on this mountain, and, 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 and Isaac's like, hey, God, where's the sacrifice? Or, hey, Dad, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham's like, you're the sacrifice, son. And can you imagine what was going through Isaac's mind, or even what was going through Abraham's mind going up this mountain? Like, God, you promised me a son. Why are you calling me to sacrifice him? And he gets up there in obedience. He puts his son, Isaac, and he's about to sacrifice him. And an angel of the Lord reach out and says, Abraham, Abraham, no. And in that moment, God provides the sacrifice in the ram. And in that interaction, the angel of the Lord says this, Do not lay your hand on the boy, for now I know that you fear God, since you do not withhold your only son from me. There is this wrestling going on in our lives of whether or not to be obedient to what God has said or fall away. And Abraham, regardless of what happened, chose to be obedient to God, even if it meant sacrificing his son. And right after this passage, after providing the ram and, and the sacrifice and the offerings, this is what God said to Abraham. And the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you've obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Like the stars in the sky and the sand at the seashore, your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies and through your descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed because all have obeyed me. Typically, When we go to court or or we make an oath to somebody, what do we typically say? Who do we swear by typically? Many of us swear by something higher than ourselves, right? And so you're going to, you'll be talking to somebody and they'll make a promise and you're like, yeah, okay. And they'll be like, I swear to God, Right? Or maybe, maybe, I don't know if you've heard this, because I've heard it, and I think it's strange. I've had people tell me, I swear on my mother's grave. Like, Your mom's greater, I guess, right? And so he's saying that when we make an oath, we typically make an oath by someone greater than ourselves. And when we go to court, right, and, and we take an oath, and, and we place our hand on the Bible, and we promise to uphold the truth and nothing but the truth, Right? And, and so we're swearing, we're promising, and we're giving our oath in that moment that we're not going to lie. And that we're going to tell the truth. But here's the thing. There is someone greater than ourselves. And so we cannot swear by ourselves. We cannot make promises by ourselves. And in this passage, in this passage to Abraham, God himself is making a promise and an oath. And, and because there's no one greater, he says, I swear by my name. The God of the universe is the greatest thing in the world, and so he swears by his name. He makes a promise saying, in order to convince you in all these things, Abraham, I swear by my name that your descendants will be blessed because you've obeyed me. And because you waited patiently and you faithfully served me, you will inherit the promises. And we know that Abraham, out of being patient and waiting, received the promises that God promised. And I cannot wait. To have a conversation with Abraham. And just say, Abraham, what was going through your mind? That like God is calling us to imitate these people of faith. Why? Because of their obedience to God's calling on their lives. So in ancient Israel, oaths were not like oaths nowadays. Nowadays, everything, on the most part, is set in contracts. How many of you have ever signed a contract? this promise that you're going to fulfill this contract, whatever it is, whether it's a water softener or a mortgage or rent or something. And so when we solidify an oath, we usually sign something saying, here, this is my guarantee that I will follow this. And if not, I'm giving you permission to come after me, right? But in ancient Israel, everything was done by the word, by their personal word. And so So personal word and promises and oaths were were so important back then. But I don't know about you, but we live in a time where words and promises don't necessarily always mean something. I mean, we're in a season with COVID and politics and how many of us are just frustrated over our government? And we're frustrated over the promises they make and all these things that are happening. And we just say, we just want someone we can trust. And unfortunately, marriages aren't even as important as they were. And we're seeing so many times these promises and these oaths of a marriage covenant being broken. But here's the important thing about God. God's character is totally different. Which is why God himself is the one that sanctifies us, that transforms us, that brings us closer to his son by the Holy Spirit. And so what are the truths in this passage that point out the character of who God is Well the first one is this is that there's no one greater than God Because there's no one greater than God we can trust that God himself will make decisions that bring his name glory and in doing so it will be for our good The truth God never deviates from the truth in this passage, it not only says that God God can't lie, or that God doesn't lie, or God doesn't want to lie, it physically says that God, it is impossible for God to lie. And because it is impossible for God to lie, we can trust in his promises. Because God himself can't lie. And so we know that anything he promises, anything he says in his word will come true. We know in this passage that God doesn't change. We see human beings change all the time. Our society changes like crazy. But God himself never changes. And the Bible says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so his promises that he made thousands upon thousands of years ago at the beginning of creation are going to come to fruition. And they're the same promises that we will inherit one day for those who follow Jesus. And because God never changes and God never deviates from the truth, we know that the promises of God are guaranteed. We know that they're guaranteed and that they will come to fruition. This hope that that is talking about in this passage is not this wishful thinking, right? Wishful thinking is this. I wish that one day the Jaguars will win a game. (laughs) We're going on a 20-game losing streak, and I just wish that we will win a game. Don't tell me what the score is, please, because they're playing right now. Or wishful thinking is that I hope one day in my lifetime, I will experience a Jags winning the Super Bowl. That is wishful thinking, because there's no guarantee there, right? Brownie fans, how many times have you wished that? Like, I just want my brownies to do good, and I want them to win the Super Bowl, and I hope they do it in my lifetime. That is wishful thinking. The hope that we have here is not a wishful thinking. The hope we have here is a confident thinking, knowing that these things are going to happen. And so we can stand and say, I am confident in this, that Christ's promises will come to fruition. And so the hope we have is not this wavering hope. It is a secure, informed hope. Psalms 33 9 says for he spoke and it came to be he commanded and it stood firm for he spoke and it came to be he commanded and it's still firm for when he spoke the world began. Psalms 110 4 the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. We need to understand that when God makes a promise he won't only keep it but he must keep it. So we can look at his word and trust everything that has ever been written. And as a result, we have this incredible hope. We have the hope of Christ that is immovable and unchanging. The hope we have cannot be moved. It cannot be changed. It is secure. It is firm. It is beautiful. It is full of grace and mercy and love and goodness. Because Christ is good. And because Christ is good, and because Christ is holy, and because Christ himself cannot lie. His goodness is true, and his goodness is real. And we have a Savior that desires to to have a relationship with us, and desires to just spend time with us. His hope in Christ is not going to cause us to waver, it's not going to cause us to be casted back and forth, it's not going to cause us to sink. When I lived in New Jersey, we were known to get some hurricanes. And how many of you guys remember Hurricane Sandy? Frankie, you and I would know because you were there and literally you're down the shore, so you're pretty much right there, right? So And so here is images from Hurricane Sandy. The waves were so high. Like have you ever seen the movie Perfect Storm? And like So just everything came back to perfection. Like It was literally Hurricane Sandy was that perfect storm. You had the wind, you had the rain, and then most importantly, the the one thing that caused all the damage was the surge from the water. And, And when water moves and water just surges, you cannot stop it. It keeps going. And so everything was just tossed back and forth. And this was the pier, this was the boardwalk. The surge literally ripped the roller coaster off of the boardwalk into the water. So the the image of the roller coaster in the water, it was ripped out. The power of these waves, the power of the storm, the surge that happened was so incredible. And when you experience a storm like that, It begins to remind you of storms in your own life, and, and you begin to connect it, that each of us in our lives, we, we have storms. We have moments of our life where we feel like we're being tossed back and forth, and the waves of this world are just coming at us, and they're just slamming us, and they're pushing us left or right. and right, and, and at some point, it just feels like you're drowning because the storm is so strong. And I can imagine the Jewish people that this writer was writing to in their persecution was facing a storm like never before. A storm that was causing them to sink in question and doubt. Just like when Peter walked out on the water and he asked Jesus, walk, and Jesus says, come on. And he's walking and he's walking. But what happened? He took his eyes off of Jesus. And as a result of that, what did he begin to do? Sink. He took his eyes off of Christ and began to sink. And the Hebrew writer is saying, don't take your eyes off of Jesus. This hope that we have in Christ is so strong. It's like an anchor for our souls. Like like when, when you cast an anchor into the sea, the goal of an anchor, the job of an anchor is to slow down your drifting. And for some, it's to completely stop your boat. So that you are not moving and that you're immovable and that you're in that spot until you raise the anchor again. And so in this passage, anchors were so important to the Christians during this time. Because of their persecution, because of their unwavering faith in Christ, a lot of the earlier Christians began to adopt the anchor as a symbol for their faith. A symbol that says, I'm unwavering. My faith is unwavering. I'm going to keep going to the point that early Christians would actually put this engraving on their catacombs. And it's a picture of an anchor with the Ithaca and another fish that represents themselves. And so we're latched to Christ in this anchor, in this unwavering faith that we have. And so anchors to them were important. I I mean, if you look all throughout scripture, uh, uh, transportation and the, the lakes and the rivers and the seas and everything, I mean, they traveled by boat. And so anchors were prevalent. They were important to the point that for Christians, it represented hope and security and steadfastness. But what else does an anchor remind you of? If I was to cover up the bottle... What does that look like a cross. a cross so for them an anchor not only meant an unwavering faith but it reminded them of the cross of jesus christ and so in this moment they were using these as a way of reminding them who jesus is and reminding them to stay fast the steadfast that press forward because they were just being persecuted after persecuted and so this anchor we have, this steadfast anchor of our souls, isn't something that we cast down, because Christ isn't down. This anchor is something that we cast up, and we cast up into the holies of holies, and we cast up to the throne of God himself. And we fasten it to the throne of God, which becomes our steadfast hope, which becomes our security, which becomes our immovable hope that we have because it is latched onto the throne of God. And so my question for you this morning is, where is your anchor? Where is your anchor? Is it secure to the throne of God or is it secure to something else that's going to cause you to move back and forth, that's going to cause you to turn upside down? Hurricane Sandy was so powerful That when the water resided, ships were turned upside down on buildings (laughs) and other things going on. That's how powerful this thing was. And so where is your anchor in the midst of your storms that you go through? Is your anchor shooting off to the throne or is it shooting somewhere else? These storms that we have, the storms that we face in our lives can either drown us or we can come out of it steadfast on Christ. Albert Muller said this, believers have an unshakable hope in the certainty of God's word and a stable anchor for their souls in Christ. Those who claim to believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior, those who have put their faith in Jesus, not kind of believed in Jesus, but fully securely placed their faith in Jesus, have a stable anchor for their souls in Christ means that in the end, the promises that we stand upon will come through. And, and, and in the end, we will spend eternity with God the Father in heaven. And the glorious mansions that he has gone to prepare a place for us. And all these things are happening in this new world. And the new heavens and the new earth that God is going to promise to create. Those who are in Christ Jesus will be a part of that. Where there is no more tears. And no more pain. And no more sorrow. And no more waves crashing down on us. Because we are steadfast in Christ. truth about ourselves we have a choice to believe in Christ or not we can be confident in Christ's promises or not we can trust in Jesus or not we can trust knowing that Jesus will return we can trust knowing because it is impossible for God to lie his promises in scripture of all the bible of everything that we read in here all the promises from the old testament to revelation will come true and there are many of them. And they're so good and so full of grace and mercy and rich. And so we have a question to ask for ourselves. As the storms of life come crashing down on us, where and to whom do we look for peace? Where and to whom do we look for confidence and hope? What can we do in the midst of these storms? We can open the Word of God and allow Spirit to speak, to encourage, to challenge to press us forward. Isaiah 48 says this, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God, God, stands forever. We cast our anchor to the throne of God and trust knowing that it will be a steadfast and secure hope. At the end of this passage, it says that Christ went as a forerunner on our behalf. He went into the holies of holies to destroy the veil so that we can have a relationship with God. And what is our calling? Our calling now as believers is to be a forerunner for Christ's return. We're going before Christ, talking about the gospel, getting people to Jesus. Because when the gospel reaches the end of the world, Christ will come back. And so we are preparing the way. Just like John the Baptist was the forerunner for Christ, we are the forerunner for Christ's return. And so we have a calling, we have a job. And last week, Jose challenged us on this. And his challenge was this, to love God and love others. Why? Because when we love God and we love others, we can go and complete the great commission that God has given us. Why? Because we have Christ's credentials. We have his promises. We have his hope. We have his challenge. And so as the storms of life come crashing down, firmly secure yourselves to the immovable and unchanging Christ as the waves come crashing down on you, firmly secure yourselves to the immovable and unchanging Christ. Why? Because if we're latched to an unchanging, immovable Christ, then nothing in this world coming at us can ever do anything to us. Maybe a little bit of fear here and there. But God promises that all things work together for good to those who love and obedient to God. Salvation, I've got to remind you, salvation, right, isn't us being obedient and God loving us, our obedience is because Christ has loved us and saved us, and we're going to serve him. And in that obedience, and in that showing that we believe in Jesus, and in that showing uh, of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, that is when we grow. And in growing, that is when we get to do amazing things for Jesus. But this challenge in Hebrews is saying, are you going to make it to the end or not? Because those that make it to the end have their hope securely in Christ and will inherit the promises that God has given them. Where are you at this morning? Do you believe that Christ is Lord and Savior of your lives? Or do you just think church is good, so I come? Where are you at? Because the only way to have this firm, immovable, and unchanging Christ is to believe that he is your Lord and Savior of your life, and there is no other way. The hope that we have in Christ... It's because Christ's death and resurrection on the cross. Not because of anything else that we do. And so where is our hope? Where are we standing? Where are we putting our faith? Is it in Jesus or not? Let's pray.